This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's program, it's the beginning of the end for the All Blacks as they start their final tour of the year. And we ask rugby reporter Barry Guy just how much of a factor fatigue will be. We talk to Melbourne Cup runner-up, New Zealand jockey James McDonald, and discuss his ride on Fiorente and just what it means for his future career. Australia and New Zealand are taking vastly different approaches into this weekend's Fast Five International Netball Tournament. Diamonds coach Lisa Alexander explains why. And after having flown 14,000 kilometres to get there, New Zealand marathon runners ask why they can't just run 42 in New York. The beginning of the end's in sight for the All Blacks when they play Scotland in the first match of their four-test season-ending tour of the UK and Europe on Monday morning. Scotland's never beaten the All Blacks, and the prospects of them ending the All Blacks' current unbeaten 17-match run appear unlikely, to say the least. They also play Wales, England and Italy on the tour. I asked rugby reporter Barry Guy what the All Blacks will want from this tour and can they maintain their unbeaten run throughout. There's been the talk of rotation that hasn't really been used, but uh, Steve Hansen has said it's going to happen in the first two matches and and really that's the, the best opportunity to do it because they've had a long season. And he does need to give some of these other guys some some good game time. And and Scotland and Italy are really the best uh, times uh, teams to do it against. And then you've got the two tough ones against uh, Wales and England, which, you know, again, there's no reason why the All Blacks shouldn't win. Uh, Would you have expected him to have maybe taken a side with a few more younger players and even rested the likes of Richie McCaw? Uh, Well... Possibly. Uh, he, Steve Hansen, insists that he's already blooded nine new guys this season already and that um, they have come through and, you know, some of the, the older ones perhaps are, you know, getting towards the end of their uh, careers perhaps, that uh, th- that's a reasonable amount. Maybe what he is trying to achieve, though, is to just give those more game time, you know, give them more time on the field, not relying on the McCaws and Carters and, and a few others to be playing 70 minutes of a match, perhaps uh, giving them less time and giving the opportunity for these other guys. And I expect that to happen in, in the first few matches of this tour, uh, is that perhaps McCaw, Carter, you'll see them coming off uh, early in the second half to give the likes of uh, Cruden, Kane, and some of these other you know, young guys uh, time on the field. So a bit more of a, maybe a bit part. Uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> this is the opportunity, you know, we've had a year after the World Cup now, and it's another three years away, that he did for a while talk about the hookers, Hoare and Mialamu, making it all the way through to the next World Cup. You know, it would be a struggle, I think. There's a second row is looking reasonably young. Um, the front row's not too bad. But, you know, there are others. The three quarters are, are, are still young. But the, the midfield, you know, an opportunity there for some other guys, Tamadi Ellison and Ben Smith and the likes. But uh, I think he's got this approach that 
rather than just change them, just give them more game time, just get them into the system, and then if there is an injury or, or whatever, they can just uh, slot in quite easily. You've got to give them some credit, I would have thought, that there hasn't been a lull after the, the World Cup. They're on this 17-game unbeaten run. That's quite an achievement. It, it has happened to every team that's won the World Cup, uh, except for the All Blacks this time. It's perhaps to do with you know the likes of Richie McCaw. He wants to play every game, and you know wants to be better every time. But also the depth of New Zealand rugby. I know we've lost some uh, younger players from uh, the NPC are going to play for Australian Super Rugby franchises, but. Really, the depth of players that they've got that can, even from the MPC, step up to uh, that next level is is quite impressive. And uh, they're also getting a number of players that aren't wanting to go over, overseas. Uh, you know, McCaw is just taking a break from rugby. They they want to stay here and play rugby, which you've you got to think perhaps the rugby union or the All Black coaching staff are doing something right. And uh, there is, they, it seems to be a happy bunch you know, uh, you see some sort of clubs versus countries and other parts of the world and all those sorts of things. It doesn't seem to be happening here, and so you've got to give them credit somewhere that they're doing something right. The fact they've got a change of coach, that Steve Hansen's come in this year, a breath of fresh air too, perhaps? Uh, yeah, they they all know uh, Steve very well because what they've had eight years or, already uh, uh, him a part of it. But I think they like his his honesty. Uh, some of the backs have commented uh, on uh, Ian Foster and uh, his different view of things. Uh, he was criticised a little bit that he hadn't had great success with the Chiefs and what what would he bring. But I do think just new ideas and the way they approach things. They really only have two coaches. Ozzie McLean helps out on you know some technical areas, and they have the scrum coach and that sort of thing. But it is. It's probably a big thing as in any sporting team is just to keep things fresh and the, the players interested, and they seem to be doing that uh, uh, somehow. Perhaps the senior players are playing a big part in that also. Uh, Perry Wepu this week said how much he's enjoying that mentoring role of the of the younger guys. So, you know, they go on all the time about the power of the black jersey and the silver fern, and really, I think you know it 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 changes people, and and all they can think about is um, being an All Black. Scotland have obviously never beaten the All Blacks. The prospects of that changing this time around don't look any in, anywhere or likely. Mm. England and Wales, though, can how do you can they get past the All Blacks? Last couple of matches over there, uh, Wales, we've only just got away from them in the last 20 minutes. And um, the crowd at the Millennium Stadium, it'll be packed, the noise. They'll have to put their best side out, the All Blacks. I think there are a few injury concerns right across all of those uh, uh, European teams that the All Blacks are playing. But, you know, we found when Ireland came out here how teams lift when they're playing the All Blacks. So I, I think Scotland and Italy should be OK, even with sort of mixed sides that the All Blacks will put out. But, yeah, Wales and England um, will be tough. And I think it showed when the Wallabies drew with the All Blacks that if the All Blacks aren't at the top of their game because everyone else lifts, then things can go wrong and... Uh, I, I think Wales and England will be very close, actually. Fatigue, is how much of a factor is that going to be? Uh, well, it, depending on how they manage the sides in those first couple of matches and then whether they have to play, the more or less, I would assume, the top side against Wales 
and England, and also the fact that it's at the end of the season. And I know in your back of your mind you're thinking, oh, I've only got one more match to go before I can go on holiday. Um, yeah, it'll it'll be tough. You know, I don't know how many matches they've played already this year. You know, it's at least a dozen sort of thing. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I could see the All Blacks getting tipped over in one of those last two tests. That's rugby reporter Barry Guy. The offers are already pouring in for young New Zealand jockey James McDonald after riding Fiorente to second place in the Melbourne Cup. McDonald, who's only been based in Australia for three months, was riding in just his first Melbourne Cup. It says he's already talked to Lloyd Williams, who's owned four Melbourne Cup winners, including this year's winner, Green Moon. There was a sour note, though, for McDonald, as he's been given a 14-meeting suspension for causing interference to fellow Cup runner Sanagas, although that's now under appeal. I spoke to McDonald about his success. All I can remember is turning for home and thinking I've, I've got the Melbourne Cup in my in my takings, and um, as it turned out, it wasn't meant to be, but um, to be runner-up in my first Melbourne Cup is great. What was your feeling as, as the race unfolded? Did things go to plan? Yeah, it went perfectly to plan. I couldn't ask for a better trip. Um, I really thought I was a realistic chance of winning winning the race at the top of the straight, and uh, when I was following the winner through, um, I thought I was going to pick him up, but um, probably a horse that seasoned and um, got a great ride by his jockey and won the race. So you didn't feel as though you were missing out, finishing runner-up. You, you, you felt as though you couldn't quite haul Green Moon in. Yeah, I just couldn't haul him in. He was just too good on the day. And um, But um, maybe uh, we'll get a chance in the years to come. Now, there's quite an interesting sort of relationship between you and Brett Preble, isn't there? Because you go back a bit of a way. We go back, way back. He came to and met me when I was a 10-year-old kid, and uh, and um, he um, gave me a whip, and um, he was probably my idol ever since. And now it's quite funny because now we're competing against each other, and we've, um, I've beaten him in one big international race, and he's got one back on me in the Melbourne Cup. So um, it's a bit tit for tat at the moment, and hopefully we'll get one back on him soon. Do you have a bit to do with him? Yeah, I've had a lot to do with him. Um, just over the recent years, especially going to Hong Kong and that, um, it's been great. And uh, He's a champion bloke, and, and he really deserved the Melbourne Cup. So what's it been like following that ride on Fiorenti? Uh, I think I've been very quiet. I've got races today and um, just doing my normal thing. and um, It's probably sunk in a little bit, um, especially how big the race is getting and... Um, what an achievement I've done. Even though I finished second, it's not the winning of the race, which everyone would have liked, and I would have truly loved too, but to run second, it's um, it's really cool. What will it mean for your career? Oh, well, obviously it's a, a life-changing race, and to win the race was would have been just out of this world, and uh, it would have taken me to places that you'd never go before without winning one. And um, But to, to, to finish runner-up, um, like I've got a lot of, contacts out of it, a um, lot of offers to go places and probably a lot of um, offers of rides coming up in the near future just because um, I've made a name for myself as a on the big stage. What are some of the offers that you, you've had? Oh, well, I've got Hong Kong coming up, a lot of the big owners, they said, even Lloyd Williams, he come up to me and said, oh, your day will come and it will probably be on one of my horses, so that shows that people have noticed. You had a few issues, didn't you, with the uh, with Sanagas and the, the suspension. 14 meets seems quite steep. Yeah, it's a bit harsh, isn't it? Yeah. What was your take on the way things unfolded there? Oh, just a bit harshly done, but I don't think I deserve 14 meetings. There's 
too many contributing factors in it with the horse breaking down in front of me and um, finishing a long laugh. So uh, if that didn't happen, well, the race would have been smooth and I wouldn't have done it. Was it a, a, a rough ride? I mean, how, how much sort of goes on there being, I suppose, the first time in the Melbourne Cup? Was it, do, do you get treated a bit differently being a, a young jockey? No, not really. No, it's just the same as usual. And it's a very competitive race and a race that's run very tight. Um, there's not a lot of room for error. And um, so it's definitely a step up from normal racing. You're based in Sydney now, aren't you? How, how long have you been there? I've uh, been there three months now and um, enjoying every minute. It's been good. And your future? That you see yourself being based there, or Hong Kong, or yeah, I'll be based there for a while and see how we go from there. Yeah. It's quite a um, quite a splash to make, isn't it? Just after after three months. Yeah, for sure. It's um, it's good enjoyable though. Gay Waterhouse was obviously pleased with the way you went too. Yeah, it's promising, and um, hopefully get another ride off of this. I was talking to New Zealand jockey James McDonald, who rode Melbourne Cup runner-up Fiorente at Flemington. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. This weekend's Fast Five World Netball Series in Auckland is the final top-level international assignment of the season. It's a three-day, five-a-side tournament featuring New Zealand, Australia, England, South Africa, Jamaica and Malawi. There are two and three-point scoring zones, six-minute quarters, unlimited rolling subs and a power play quarter where goals are worth double. The New Zealand side's largely made up of seasoned internationals, while Australia continue to treat the competition as a development exercise. The Diamonds coach Lisa Alexander believes her squad's in good shape after winning the recent quad series and told Richard Wayne while she's fielding only two full internationals, they will be competitive. Well, I guess it's hopefully a continuing of a winning flavour. We weren't particularly excited about the last game of the series, but um, you know we're, we're very happy with our performances in that series. We had a number of players out, so for the team to perform as well as they did, I think we probably exceeded expectations. But this is a new group. This is our emerging group. We've got a couple of players back again, Caitlin Fates and Chanel Gomez, and they're really looking forward to sort of building on the form that they developed in the quad series. Certainly our younger players that are coming through are really excited about the challenge, particularly a couple of the younger ones, Kate Shimon and Kim Revellian, who are still in our 21 and unders. They're going off to Jamaica next week, but the Fast Five concept for them is really, really exciting. So Lisa, you're obviously using this series in, in a way that perhaps the Silver Ferns partially use the quad series as, as development and, and building experience. Australia's got a lot of depth, of course. You must be the, the most talented netball nation in the world. Well, what do you actually hope to get out of this series in terms of that? Oh, certainly developing diamonds for the future. That's really the major focus for the, the preparation. Uh, last year, as an example, Susan Prattley and Bianca Chatfield, both co-captains of our Fastnet team, have come and progressed straight into diamonds this year and putting out some great performances. So that's really what we want to see. We want to see that culture developed um, you know, in terms of the diamonds approach, how professional we are in everything we do, and then bringing that team structure that we're working on, our defensive strategies, our attacking strategies, even though it's not the same game, we're still getting that mindset that we want for the Diamonds, practised in Fast Five. Waimaro Amatomonu was uh, sure that you'll be more than competitive despite trying out some new players. Is there a risk that you'll be sacrificing a chance of victory in the tournament? Oh, 
look, we we try not to ever think that we go in uh, without really good preparation for a tournament. So our goals are always to win. And I think if you go in with anything less, then you'll get less. So our expectations are very high and we hope to really push the Silver Ferns all the way, definitely. I suppose the other nations will also have a little bit of a leg up given the new format with the power play and, and the chance to suddenly go on a massive run. It really could even things up. Absolutely. It makes it really unpredictable, which is terrific for the fans. I mean, they're going to see power play quarters where you could possibly score 20 odd points and put a team ahead by 30 we don't know so having to catch up on that is going to be really exciting and I think having the power plays in different quarters is going to provide that excitement and of course the crowd will be you know willing the team on that's behind to catch up so yeah it's going to be very exciting for for the crowd and and also for the teams I think you know, learning to play that faster-paced netball is, is important, but then controlling the pace when the other team has a power play. So there's some really good coaching strategies and tactics to get across to the players. We think they're going to develop very nicely this week. Just some thoughts on the Silver Ferns. They've obviously been trying to develop uh, you know, depth in midcourt and, and bring some players through to replace the likes of Timo Parra George. Yeah. And also up front with you know Irene, still the clear standout goal shoot. Where, where do you think they're at in terms of their evolution, I suppose? Oh, look, you can see that it's working for them. Um, I think ANZ Championship has provided New Zealand with an ideal breeding ground for their next generation of players. In fact, you know, some would argue that it's actually cost us a little bit. We've just been scratching our heads about finding enough defenders. We've got three imports in our teams and it is tough. So, I mean, New Zealand are taking advantage of that and I think it's going to help them enormously in the future and continue to provide that breeding ground that you need playing at that top level, ready to take that step up to international level netball. A really respect-wise approach. I think she's very demanding with her expectations of players. I have very similar ones myself. And you know that if you have those high expectations that players will come up to that. And uh, you've got to be tough sometimes. Um, some people have to be cut because they're not meeting those expectations. So you think the, I suppose, the three three out of five, I think it was, test wins that New Zealand got over Australia, it shows that they have made some real improvements this year in terms of you know, bringing the new players through? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, having to having to change their midcourt, bring Millie Lees in, she's been terrific for them. She's been a real workhorse and um, fitted in well in the team structures and they've still got a great defence. I mean, Casey Williams and Leanna DeBrain are just unbelievably good. You know the games are always going to be close between the two countries and, and that's the way it should be. It's going to be a great couple of years till Commonwealth Games and the World Champs in Sydney. What about bringing up the rest of the international netball world? Do you think they are improving and, and I suppose competitions like this can only help? Yeah, look, this is just absolutely vital. I applaud um, IFNA for creating the Fast Five. I think it's made it much more exciting. I think, you know, New Zealand have embraced it. Um, Auckland's embraced it. It's a, it's a fantastic concept. It gives us all an opportunity to see the talent that's out there across the world. And with a bit more coaching and a bit more resourcing, I think, you know, netball can just go from strength to strength. We dearly love to be an Olympic sport down the track, but you know these sorts of competition really add to the excitement in an, in an international setting. And you know we can only have Australia and New Zealand for so long. We've got to have other countries lifting up and really pushing us. That's Australian netball coach Lisa Alexander talking to Richard Wayne. The New York Marathon was to have been run this week, but was eventually called off because of Superstorm Sandy, which swept through the northeast of the United States. 47,000 runners were entered for the 42-kilometre event, which goes through five New York boroughs. 
A couple of hundred New Zealanders had entered, and among them was Wellingtonian Hamish French. Barry Guy asked him where he was when he got the news that the race had been called off. We'd checked in, just checked into our hotel and gone for a, a bit of a walk around New York because our room wasn't quite ready when we, when we got there. This was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon on the Friday, and we got back to our hotel at about 5pm to check into our room, and it was at reception there that that they told us uh, the, the marathon's been cancelled. And for a start, I, I sort of thought, oh, maybe, maybe someone's just, you know, playing a joke type thing. Because in New York itself, in Manhattan, you couldn't even tell that there'd been a hurricane go through. Uh, everything seemed fairly normal. And it was only on the news that you were seeing pictures of Staten Island and so forth of the devastation that had happened but in downtown Manhattan, you wouldn't have even known on the Friday when we arrived there that there was any problems. So when they said that it was cancelled, we, we, we were like, no way, it can't be. But then, sure enough, the group of runners that I was with, we, we had a meeting at 5.30 altogether, and it was confirmed at that meeting that the marathon had indeed been cancelled, which at that stage, there's about uh, 25 of us in that group running, and there was... You know, a fair amount of disbelief and, and uh, to be fair, there's a few tears from quite a few of the runners because for some of them, they're, you know, they're not naturally marathon runners and they've put a lot of effort into the training and spent a lot of money to get there. So to, to get all the way there and then at the last minute, really, find out that it had been cancelled was pretty pretty devastating. You'd said uh, you'd run New York before. Uh, did that sort of ease the pain at all, did it? Maybe a little, I'd put more training into this into this preparation for this one than I had for the the one previously, and and also in that I was fundraising for the Catwalk Trust as, as a charity to to go over and do it for them this time um, because Shoe Clinic, uh, my business is, is a sponsor of the Catwalk Trust and, and have been for a number of years, so I've done a lot of effort into fundraising with with the Catwalk Trust. So all in all, between the training and the fundraising. Even though I've done New York, it was still a real punch in the guts. And um, I guess there was a, a bit of cynicism on, that you felt of that that maybe Mayor Bloomberg sort of didn't call it off until the late Friday afternoon because he wanted to get everyone into New York before calling it off so that people wouldn't not come to New York and, and sort of pump the money into the economy. Because obviously by, by the time it was cancelled, it, it sort of... Five o'clock Friday afternoon, uh, pretty much every everyone who was coming to New York to run the race had arrived, and so the hotels were full, the restaurants were able to you know serve people, the the, the retailers were able to you know obviously see a lot more of people because they didn't have to run to prepare for. So it sort of almost felt that they maybe knew earlier than when they cancelled it that they were going to, but they got everyone into town first. It seems uh, from here that you know perhaps the course was possibly okay and could have gone ahead, but the number of people that would have been needed to officiate the run were perhaps better being used somewhere else. Yeah, that seems to be it. On the news report that I saw where the president of the Roadrunners Club was being interviewed, she she pretty much said that they weren't that, that they were able to run it but they weren't prepared to based on the amount of negativity and the bad feeling amongst New Yorkers if they did go ahead and run it. So it was almost like they'd decided to give in to 
the, the negative and the, and the popular sort of negativity that, that, that a lot of the locals were feeling towards them for, for, for wanting to go ahead and run it. And um, but she admitted on the interview that there's no, there was nothing to stop them running it with regards to the course or the amount of officials that they had to help. It was really more just the popular sort of belief that that that, that, that most people felt the race shouldn't go ahead because of of the way that um, some of the people were still uh, out of their houses and so forth, and 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 they just were feeling that it was the wrong thing to do. I think some people went for a run in Central Park on the Sunday, while others were perhaps then looking at other marathons around uh, that area at the time. Um, did those sort of things run through your mind, or did you just sort of decide to flag it? For me, I flagged it. But uh, for for others and, and, and the catwalk um, group, some of them went down to Central Park on the Sunday and certainly ran. Uh, one of one of the runners that I know of actually ran a full marathon. Neil Anderson, he from from Wellington. He he actually um, once he got started, he he kept running until his uh, GPS had told him that he'd done done the full marathon distance. Um, so you know, there's a variation of some went for a few kilometres and some, and as I say, he he went the full distance, and and some of us didn't run at all. So it was really just each to their own on that as to how you felt. I, I personally am sort of more that competitive person of where if, if I haven't got a, a proper run to, to do, then I, I sort of felt that, it, you know, I didn't really want to go and run. And Hamish French says he and some others from his group may now look to run a marathon in New Zealand sometime in the next month. New Zealand's top marathon runner, Kimberly Smith, now looking to run the Yokohama Marathon in Japan instead. And that's extra time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.